Morning Liberty. Well, hello there, everybody. My name is Nate, and this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Once again today, I am by myself. Charlie is out of town. He'll be back here tomorrow, so don't worry. You'll get both of us on our episode tomorrow. Uh, We want to tell you real quick, subscribe to the podcast. If you have not done that already, if this is your first time listening, you will help us out so much, so much more than you even know if you subscribe to the podcast. And if you are subscribed, then leave us a rating and review. So today, let's do the news. All right, so this is from this is from CBS, and I thought this was a pretty hilarious story. I want I want to get you guys caught up on everything important that's happening in the world. So, this from CBS: a University of Iowa student is arrested for using a fake ID at a bar. Now, get this: his fake ID. What was his name on it? McLovin. All right. That's awesome. Honestly, I think that guy should be let out of jail. Um, I think he should get some real big points. Um, Even there is a tweet from Seth Rogen actually acknowledging how awesome this guy's fake ID was. So, hey, mad props to McLovin. Uh, He should have done a better job not getting caught. But, I mean, I don't know. At least it gave us a story to talk about today. From Fox News, NASA moves up the first all-female spacewalk to fix a power unit. So... They do, they do these spacewalks all the time. People get out of the shuttle. Uh, they, I don't know what they do. They walk around in space. How about that? So they go outside and they, and they do all their space stuff. So uh, I know they don't use the shuttles anymore, but um, these astronauts up there are going to be doing the first all-female spacewalk. And I was just kind of wondering, you know, I wonder what the point of articles like this is. Uh, I, I really don't know what they're trying to get across other than I guess it's just a good milestone and maybe I don't understand because I'm just kind of mansplaining this a little bit right now but uh, I never really care what the gender of the people walking around in space are like that's just not that's not the first thing on my mind um, but you know, uh, I guess I guess this is a good thing and a lot of people might look at this and say well this is obviously because there's been rampant sexism and in, in everywhere, everywhere in our world. And that definitely exists. It definitely does exist all over the place. I don't think it does as much anymore, um, but it definitely does exist. But when you look at the people who are walking around in space, if you want to think, well, we've finally overcome all of this sexism that's been happening from the NASA astronauts. First, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. Um, NASA is a government agency. Um, I guess... I don't know. I guess the government's not always great at ushering in utopias all the time. But secondly, when you look at people who are in the STEM fields or people who are in the Air Force, which is generally generally the kind of people that are going to be astronauts, you know, your, your Air Force pilots and people who are in engineering and science and mathematics, all of those, all of those different fields, that it's very, very predominantly dominated by men. And I don't think that that's purely a consequence of sexism in those fields. I don't think that anything is stopping women from pursuing those degrees or those jobs. They've actually just found that naturally that just isn't something that most women will go towards. 
on average, statistically, most women will go towards something where they'll be interacting with a lot of people all the time. Maybe they can be helping people in some kind of way. Um, so that's something that they'll normally go towards. Actually, in the STEM fields, only about 25% of the people in those, in those fields are women. And actually, they've found, they've actually found that the more equal the society has become, the smaller that percentage is. So where they make sure that everyone's going to get paid the same or there's absolutely, you know, there's, there's absolutely no sexism whatsoever. The, the government's just on top of it, paying attention, making sure that everyone's got the same opportunities, getting the same, you know, the same basic pay scales, everything like that. Actually, a lower percentage of those fields end up being, being women. It actually goes down to something like 15% in countries like Norway and Sweden where they are very much on top of the whole uh, equality thing, gender equality thing. So the more equal they make everyone, the less likely women are to go into those fields. You would think that if women weren't going into those fields, it would just, it means that there's some kind of sexism. There's some kind of problems inside that. And I think that kind of disproves that argument. And then also in the Air Force, only about eight, nine percent of the people in the air force are women a lot of those people that end up being astronauts get plucked from different militaries so um when you're thinking statistically the people out of the pool of people that you have to choose from statistically it's almost always going to be a man if you're choosing the top person if you're going to choose the top person and if only eight out of a hundred people are women and you're going to choose the top person every single year, then statistically you'll end up choosing a man like every single year. That, that's just the way that that works out. So while this is a good thing that we're having our first all-female spacewalk, I don't want that to come across as, well, there's just been rampant sexism and we're finally getting this under control. I don't think that that's what it means at all. But, hey, my hat's off to those people who make it to be astronauts and them doing the spacewalk. Uh, that's a great thing. And congratulations. So there's a strike in Chicago, by the way, a teacher strike, massive teacher strike. There's actually uh, no classes today for about 300,000 students. In the uh, in, Let's see, the Chicago teachers went on strike Thursday, marching on picket lines after failing to reach a contract deal with the nation's third largest school district. So, I think you could ask a lot of people, and they would, I think a lot of people would agree that teachers are underpaid, right? Everyone thinks that teachers should make more money. One of the really interesting parts about that is that teachers predominantly are government employees. They all work for their state government. So, and not it's not how all of them, not how all of that works out, but predominantly they're all, they're state employees. So it's interesting to me to see so many people striking because they're not getting fair pay and then to see if you were to poll people across the nation, almost all of them would agree that teachers aren't paid enough money. And yet when you look at it at the end of the day, they're all government employees. What does that tell you? How, how could you use that argument 
say you're talking to someone who wants to nationalize a lot of different industries, maybe healthcare, technology, whatever it is, and they want everyone to become government workers, you know, that that's the best thing for everyone. But look at the government workers in our society now. This isn't just because President Trump's in office. This is a feeling that people have had for a long time. Look at the government workers that we have in our society now. They're not happy with their pay at all. They're striking because they are not getting the pay that they want. And yet we're supposed to listen to this ideology that says that it's capitalism and the free market that is terrible to people. And if it's the government that would be better for everyone all the time. And then you look across all of the government workers, teachers, postal workers, all kinds of stuff like that. And you say, oh yeah, they're, they're way underpaid. They're not paid fairly. Police officers aren't paid fairly. All this stuff. They all work for the government. Okay. So while I think teachers, uh, you could say, deserve to be paid more, that's, all, that's pretty difficult economically. There's about 3 million teachers in the U.S., and they're paid with tax money. So any raise in the teacher's pay has to directly come from people's taxes. And most of these states, and this story was out of Chicago, their state budget is destroyed. Illinois is going bankrupt. They should be bankrupt already. And they're supposed to raise the pay of the workers from a budget that is in the negative. I don't really know if you could argue that that should somehow work out. So it, anyway, it just, it to me, it always gives me a really good example that it's just, it's not obvious that if you just gave the government control over everything, that everyone would get paid fairly and equally and they would all be happy and everything would just be all well and good. I don't think that that's obvious at all. So this is, uh, you guys ever been to Chipotle? It's a really good place. I've never been, I've never gotten sick when I ate at Chipotle, okay? A few people did. I don't know. I think Udoba probably started that whole rumor. I don't know. But anyway, Chipotle, they've announced that they are going to cover their employees' tuitions for tech and business degrees. This is actually a really good article, too. It, it, it says a lot about the free market and the things that we talk about on a daily basis. How if we increase competition, if we increase opportunity, that there will be better situations for all of, for all of the workers. And so now we look at a restaurant, uh, essentially a fast food restaurant like Chipotle, that is now offering to pay for the tuition of their workers. So I'm just going to read some of this from CNN. Chipotle will pay for its employees to get business or technology degrees at certain colleges, the company said Tuesday. The new program, which kicks off on November 15th, is the restaurant chain's latest effort to attract and retain talent in a highly competitive labor market. Employees who have been at the company for at least 120 days and work a minimum of 15 hours per week can choose from 75 different degree programs at five schools. So it lists off the schools here. Yeah, it's a lot of online schools, but there are still degrees that you can get. <clears throat> so Chipotle will cover tuition only if employees remain at the company and ask that they stay for at least six months after they earn their degrees. 
Sounds fair. Sounds pretty fair to me. The new benefit is an expansion of Chipotle's existing programs. The chain already offers up to $5,250 a year in tuition reimbursement, as well as other education assistance programs. Unemployment is at 3.5%, a historically low level. Competition for workers is fierce, and companies are fighting for them in a variety of ways. Starbucks is improving its mental health benefits. McDonald's has partnered with AARP in a bid to hire older employees. And Taco Bell threw hiring parties to attract new talent. So with so many good options, companies have to make a good case for their employees to join their companies and stay. This is a really, I mean, this is exactly what we talk about all the time. The thing that we say all the time is that this is, so this can go into the student debt, student debt conversation and into the, just say minimum wage conversation. Your labor is always an auction. There's an auction going on in the market at all times for everything all the time, whether you're going to go buy a new computer, there's a price set at the auction. And if you're not going to pay that price, then you're not going to get it. What they'll see is that if enough people aren't paying that auction price, they'll lower the bid down to see if they can get you. If too many people are buying them or a lot of people are buying them, they'll raise the price until people stop buying them. The same thing happens with your labor. When you are going to sell your time to a company, you have to imagine yourself going to an auction. And so you put yourself up there in front of the auction, someone's showing you off. And then you have to imagine who's sitting out there in the audience that's going to bid on you. So when we make it really hard to compete in markets, or we make it really hard for businesses to exist, or we create regulations that hamper all kinds of different competition and growth, then in that auction, you've got like one person sitting out there. you got one business sitting out there, and you're trying to sell your time. Do you think you're going to be able to bid that time up really high? What's the, what's the greatest odds that your time value is going to stay low and not get, get bid up high? Or is it going to get bid up really high for some reason? No, it's going to be low. It's an auction. So what you want are as many people sitting in that audience bidding on you as possible. Because the more people there are out there bidding on your time the more the value of your labor is going to get bid up. They're going to keep doing things to try and attract you to come and work there. Where now we've even got fast food places, which, hey, there's nothing wrong with working at a fast food place. Nothing at all. You're serving food to people. Every single person on our entire planet has to have food. Every one of them. It's science. I looked it up. Every single one of them has to have food. And you're working at a place where you serve food to people. A lot of these very affordable food. This is a good thing. And now you have these places that are competing to get your labor. So this is really good when you see a company like Chipotle offering to pay for their workers to get a degree. So now we think about the free college idea, the student loan crisis. This is one of the solutions for this. It's one that we've been talking about for a while. Companies 
to attract labor will pay more and more benefits for people, including college, including getting you a degree. You know, my, uh, my wife works for HCA, and they instituted the program. After that evil, evil tax cut on all of the rich, greedy corporations, they instituted a plan where they are now paying back their employees' tuitions. And they literally sent out a letter that said, in response to the tax cuts, we will be instituting a program to pay off our employees' college tuitions. So it's not as if this wasn't because of the tax cuts. They literally said it was. So now, I mean, there's a max amount that they'll pay per month. But if you've got student loans, they'll just straight up take that over and pay off the student loan for you. As long as you're working there. It's an amazing program. It's It's an amazing benefit. This is the kind of solution you want to see. And then for people who don't have degrees... You can go and work at Chipotle now and then work at Chipotle for a few years. And when you get done, you could have some kind of a degree on your resume. And you got paid the whole time. You didn't have to pay for it. They paid you to get a degree. This is the kind of stuff that we talk about all the time. This is the actual solution to the student loan crisis and the idea that we need free college. The more and more businesses we allow to come into creation, to grow, to want to institute new policies, to attract workers, the more we foster that kind of thing, the more these kind of programs are going to pop up. So we need to make sure that we keep that in mind when we're talking to people about the student debt crisis. There's a lot of people with way too much student debt. Why didn't they just go work at Chipotle for three years so they could come out with a bachelor's degree in something or some kind of associate's degree, something like that, where they didn't pay any money for it. They got paid while they were there. That's a really awesome program. So anyway, we need to make sure that we take a look at those things when, uh, when we do see them. Anytime you see something in the free market working and something that's really great, you need to talk about it because we're having to have this conversation now where we're trying to prove that free market capitalism is the solution to all of these problems that people have because people have real problems even if even if they're pinpointing the wrong people there still are problems there's people that aren't making enough money to get by there's people that can't afford their healthcare bills there's college students that can't afford their student loan payments And while in a lot of those cases, you can say, well, a little bit of personal responsibility would have gone a long way in that situation. It doesn't change the fact that there are people in these situations right now and telling them that you you should uh, go get in a time machine and fix all of your past mistakes. That's not really very helpful. They can't do that. So now people are looking for solutions, and this is one of these solutions. So we should always talk about these solutions when we see them. Because this is our counter-argument to people like Bernie Sanders and his supporters, the people like Elizabeth Warren and her supporters. This is our counter-argument. This isn't costing, costing anyone any money. These college students are actually getting paid to get a degree. So anyway, anytime you see stories like this, put them out there. So this is a little story about Elon Musk. This is from Business Insider. 
So he's getting sued right now, by the way. I can't remember the name of the of the guy. So in a tweet uh, sometime last year, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> Elon Musk called this person, I quote, pedo guy on Twitter. And so the guy's last name is uh, Unsworth, I believe. So anyway... Um, they had this whole situation in the cave in Thailand, you know, and Musk was trying to, uh, Musk was trying to help. He brought over this miniature submarine and uh, basically one of the guys over there was saying that this was just a big media stunt from Musk and that's all it was, which uh, some of it might've been a media stunt, but he was still trying to help. And so basically had a lot of negative things to say about Musk and (laughs) Musk called him a pedo on, uh, Call them a pedo on Twitter. So this guy is now suing Musk for defamation. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can technically do that. Like if you could have a lawsuit every time someone called someone a bad name on Twitter. I don't. I don't know. That this seems like a law that maybe lawyers would craft because they're going to make a ton of money from it. So anyway, in the lawsuit, Elon Musk has stated that he is out of cash. Basically, sure he's not completely out, but he is financially illiquid, meaning that most of his money is tied up in his companies that he has. So Musk is worth about $23.6 billion. But of that, so now remember, this is a net, this is a wealth thing that we talk about with our, you know, our Bernie Sanders wealth tax, Elizabeth Warren wealth tax, these kind of ideas. So of, of Elon Musk's 236 billion dollars of wealth 14.6 billion of it is in his ownership of SpaceX and 8.8 billion of it is in his ownership of Tesla that's literally 23 billion out of his 23.6 billion is actually just in the ownership of his companies meaning he's only got about maybe 600 million that's liquid Now, that's a lot of money. He's not really hurting for money or anything like that. But just remember this idea when we talk about wanting to tax the billionaire's wealth. Most of the billionaire's wealth is in the companies that they own. You know, Elon Musk's wealth is in Tesla factories and inventory and car parts and buildings, things like that, and SpaceX, with all of the crazy stuff that SpaceX is working on. That's what makes up his wealth. Can you really tax that? Can the, Should the government be able to pull that away from people? What does that mean? They pull a, a, a Tesla factory away from Elon Musk to, to tax him that year? Where's the good in that? The, the government would spend uh, all of Elon Musk's wealth in like a day or two, something like that. So is it just automatically better that it would be in the government's hands? Or is it better that it's in Elon Musk's hands? I think we know the answer to that. So when you talk about the billionaires and their wealth, remember, 90% of Jeff Bezos' wealth is in his ownership of Amazon and everything that constitutes the value of Amazon. Like something 85% of the Walton family's wealth is their 51% ownership of Walmart. And everything that makes up Walmart and all of their buildings and all of their inventory, that's where most of their wealth is. 
a very, very small fraction of that wealth uh, is actually being consumed by those individuals, those evil individuals. Most of it is actually out there in the market helping people. So I don't think that we should look at that as a negative thing, kind of keeping on this this, uh, this stock idea. So I, I came across this story, came across a story from, from Bloomberg. They're having an issue in the stock market right now with, with IPOs. So if you follow the stock market at all, what you've seen recently is a lot of people will take their companies public, and IPO is an initial public offering. So they'll take their companies public, and then all of a sudden the stock just plummets. You can think of Snapchat. You can think of uh, Groupon. Uh, what was this year? Uber, Lyft. A, a lot of companies where they've taken public and then it just plummets. And that's because none of these companies are profitable that they're taking public. And so they're just crashing. And what they're finding, one of the biggest things right now is that uh, pharma or biot biotech companies are not going public. There's actually a pretty big one that was going to go public and has announced now that it's not going to go public. And they're seeing less and less of these people deciding to turn themselves into a publicly funded company. Instead, they're keeping them private. There's a few different reasons. One small reason that they do pinpoint the uncertainty of the 2020 election. You've got presidential candidates that have a good chance of winning at least a 50 or 49% chance of winning that literally want to take portions of ownership from publicly traded companies and give them to the workers or take over 40% of these publicly traded companies' boards. So a lot of these people are like, uh, maybe we should wait after the election before we go public. Maybe we just want to keep our company private instead. So that's one of the reasons. The other one is that people aren't investing into these companies. People are scared to invest in them now. Why, citing political uncertainty in the election, would people be scared to invest into pharmaceutical companies? Hmm? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's considered a very risky investment already. And then, when you add on top of that, the idea that the government is going to completely overtake the healthcare market and pharmaceutical market, not that they already haven't, but to an even bigger extent, well, maybe you don't want to risk your money and put it in there. But that's not the only, that is not the only market where people are pulling their money. So this is actually from, I think this is from Bloomberg also. So uh, Business Insider, more money is being pulled out from the stock market than at any point in the last 10 years. So this is not a very good sign. People are starting, one of the portions of this is that people are starting to take their profits. Why would you, if you're invested in the stock market, why would you decide to go ahead and take your profits instead of just letting it go? Well, because you don't think it's going to gain very much more. Actually, you think it's probably gonna start going down. So you decide that you're gonna pull your money out of the market. So it's in the third quarter, just $60 billion. Just in the third quarter, $60 billion. That was the largest equity outflow since 2009, according to Morningstar. So what does this mean? There's a few different things. Now, one of them is that people are removing their money from some of these funds that charge really high rates for investing money because there's so many platforms now 
offering free investment. I mean, you can, not that people with a lot of money are doing this, but you can get on the Robinhood app and then just put your money on there and buy a share of the S&P 500 or the mint, you can buy the SPY, or you can get into numerous different ETFs, exchange traded funds. You can get into numerous different different ETFs and and just set it and forget it, you know? And they don't charge you any commissions. But then you have some of these really big investment places that charge insane commissions and people are starting to see that, well, maybe I should just not pay commissions anymore. So you have a lot of people that are deciding to go commission-free, even really big ones like TD Ameritrade and E-Trade are offering commission-free options. So anyway, there's a couple sides to that. One, you might start to see some uncertainty in the stock market. There's definitely already a lot. And knowing that a lot of people are pulling their money out, the most amount of people are pulling their money out since the year 2009, that's not necessarily a really good sign. Okay, from Fox. Julian Castro is running for president in 2020. Here's everything you need to know about him. All right, and this from Business Insider. Amazon's delivery contractors announced upwards of 2,000 layoffs. So, even as Amazon is just booming, more and more orders, more and more coming in, you see these news stories about how one of their delivery contractors, this was actually three of their delivery contractors, are laying off 2,000 people. So, why are they doing this? So, these kind of headlines are meant to make you upset with these evil, greedy corporations. Oh my gosh, they're making record profits, record money coming in, record revenue, and they're laying off 2,000 people. Capitalism is evil. We have, to, we have to stop this. So why would they run an article like this? And then, of course, you have to read all the way to the bottom where it says, uh, but Amazon has already offered contracting jobs to everyone that those people laid off. So you have to read through that. So Amazon's got these contracts with different delivery service providers, these different companies that take care of their, they call it last mile delivery in these towns. So they'll get them to their fulfillment centers or wherever they need to go. And then you'll have all these private contractors that those are the ones that drop off the actual package at your house. Or in the case of Charlie's house, it's where they throw it from 15 to 20 feet away from the front door. I literally have seen them do it. So why would these companies be laying off people? Well, it's because Amazon's cut their, cut their contracts with those people. Amazon is actually now starting their own delivery service providers. And they're actually creating a whole bunch of smaller companies underneath Amazon who are already offering to just rehire all of these people that just cut their contracts with the original service providers. When you think about people having contract workers instead of employees... You have to ask yourself why so many people are going towards doing that. The reasoning's pretty obvious. There are so many rules and regulations that come with hiring actual employees. Way too many rules and regulations. You have to provide benefits. If you fire them, you've got to keep paying them money afterwards. Ridiculous things like that. I mean, now if you paid into unemployment, you should at least get the money back that you paid into unemployment. I'm fine with that. But then having to pay people for a year afterwards, especially if it was their fault in a lot of cases, it's just pretty ridiculous. So what people have moved towards is just hiring contract workers. 
then you don't really have to, you don't have to worry about the taxes. It's an expense. You can just put it on there as a contractor expense. And then they get to work on whatever kind of healthcare system they want to get. And it's a lot easier. So you're seeing a lot of people getting hired as contractors. That's the way Uber and Lyft do all of their workers. You've seen really big movements for Uber and Lyft to switch those, those contract workers into employee status. A lot of people, a lot of labor unions trying to get a hold of Uber and Lyft. Taxi drivers unions rising up against them because they're unfair, all these things. It's a really good thing that Uber and Lyft workers are contract workers. Those companies would not work without that. They would not work if their people were actual employees. There's a reason that Uber and Lyft were able to come out and be so cheap. There's, there's an actual reason for this. And that's because they don't have to treat their employees like they're employees. They're all actually private contractors. It's an amazing system. And why would you be an employee? Tell me where you work, Mr. Uber driver. Tell me where else you can go work and you can decide exactly when you're going to work or if you're going to work and how long you're going to work or how short you're going to work. You can take a month off if you want to. You can come on and you can work 100 hours a week if you want to, if you need the money. You can go out and work for 30 minutes and then just decide that you're ready to go home or go do something else. If you're out driving and your friends are like, hey, we're downtown, come hang out. You can log off and go hang out with your friends. Do you know any employees whose work structure is like that at all? At all? Whatsoever? No. So they're not employees. And what people have cited, what people have cited with Uber and Lyft is that Uber does have restrictions. Say your rating goes down really low. Let's say your rating goes down really low on your Uber profile as a driver. If it goes down too low, then they won't let you drive anymore. And so they're saying, well, these are rules placed on these contractors. That makes them employees. That's not really the case. That's Uber seeing that you do a really bad job for the customers when they hire you as a contractor So they're no longer going to hire you as a contractor. If you imagine that you were putting together a a home project, building a house, something like that, or you're going to go around working on houses for other people, and you don't know how to do drywall, but you know a company that does drywall, so you'll bring them in to do the work as as some contractors on the job. If you bring this company in to do work, And then you have several different houses, several different homeowners that complain and say, this person did a terrible job doing drywall on my house. And then eventually you're like, okay, well, these people keep doing a bad job. I'm going to switch to a different contractor now. I'm not going to use this drywall drywall company anymore. There's this other one right here that's got higher ratings. We'll just use them. Does that mean that the drywall company was your employee because you decided not to use them anymore? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. So people need to be careful when they when they listen to some of these stories from the Uber drivers. And listen, I, I drove full-time for Uber, probably a total over all the, the whole span of time, maybe like a year or two, where it was my only income for a little bit just kind of between different things. And so I know what it's like to be an Uber driver. And we're here in Nashville, and you can actually make really good money 
doing that. I over my whole time driving when I was driving for Uber, I never averaged less than $22 an hour. That's what that's what I always make. Now yeah, you got to pay for gas out of that and all that, but so do other people that go to work. You still have your $22 an hour and at the end of the day, if you have to pay for gas and all of this works out to where it's actually you're netting like $15 an hour, well then, hey, you're netting $15 an hour and you get to choose exactly when you're going to work and when you don't want to work. You got a family thing, go do it. You want to go on a vacation, go do it. You need to make extra money, log on and work longer hours. There's no other job that gives you that kind of freedom. So when we hear people hiring contract laborers, laborers, Don't just automatically think that that's a bad thing. A lot of the people who do this work would prefer to be contract workers. It's not as though that's the only job they can get and they had to be a contract worker and feel sorry for them. No, a lot of people actually want to do that. I, when I was doing my Uber driving, it was because I did not want to go get an actual job, like a real job. I haven't had a, I haven't had a job where I had a, uh, a boss or like an office I had to go to since 2011, I think. 2011 was the last time I had an actual job. So anyway, it's been a long time of doing all kinds of random things to make money. But anyway, don't just don't just assume that a contract worker is a bad thing. So I'm going to go ahead and leave this show short today. I just wanted to run through some of these news stories. You know some of these stories through here where I mentioned the tuition being paid by people, where I mentioned Elon Musk being out of money, uh, where we talk about Amazon hiring and firing or, or choosing to, to have contract workers over regular employees. These are all things that come up in our political conversations every day. The contract workers might be contract workers because that's what they want. And the people who are pushing to get rid of that might be hurting a lot of people who really want to just be contract workers. So it's not obvious that you should just get rid of that. Elon Musk, hardly any of his net worth is in actual cash. The rest of it's just in his ownership of his businesses. This is something that we deal with every single day when people are complaining about three people owning more wealth than the bottom 50% of the country. What does it mean to own wealth? It means that they have companies that employ a lot of people, that have a lot of assets, a lot of buildings. It's not as though they've scraped off a bunch of money and it's all just sitting in their bank account. So you can use stories like that to mention to them. College students can't afford to pay their tuition. We've got to have the government take over college tuition, right? What about the fact that even places like Chipotle and even McDonald's are doing tuition repayment or Chipotle is actually paying you to get a degree? These are really good examples that we can use when talking to people. And then one thing that I wanted to bring up, I was listening to Ben Shapiro earlier today, and he had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on there. It was his Sunday special. I don't know if some of you guys, I don't know if some of you guys heard this, but this is something that was this is something that was said during that interview and and to me 
I don't. It's a really important point that we all need to keep in mind. Yet there's so many politicians that are doing the opposite of that. So why aren't you a libertarian? I mean, (laughs) I'm a libertarian. Come over here. Just the the, the line is right here. Just join me over here. (laughs) (laughs) There I go. Come in. Um, I've read a lot about libertarianism. There's some fascinating strong points within it, but I would say that I I have too much of me wants to help others. (laughs) <laughs> to possibly cross over the line to libertarians. <laughs> libertarians, I got mine, you get yours, that's your problem. You know, I'm paraphrasing, of yeah. course. But uh, I, my parents were, my father was active. So, obviously, I disagree with this point. But we need to keep in mind that this is what people think about libertarianism. And it's not just him that thinks this. And this is obviously a very smart guy. Someone who thinks pretty logically, I think, very objectively and logically about almost everything that he thinks about. And his baseline view when he thinks about libertarianism is it's just a philosophy of I got mine, you get yours, you know, just everyone, just every man for himself. His baseline view is when he, when Ben Shapiro asks him why he's not just a libertarian, and he says it's because, well, it's because I want to help people. So we need to keep that in mind because that's obviously not the case. And I think that a lot of the fault, actually, we'll just, we'll take responsibility here. The fault of this is on libertarians for not making our case more clear or not saying the belief behind the things that we say. We'll just say taxation is theft, you know. The, all kinds of different memes about how the government is evil. And we'll just post a lot of stuff about how we shouldn't have welfare. And, okay, all of those things are true, but we never do a good job telling people why we believe those things. And then you get this. You get this kind of mentality from a very, from a, a pretty objective person, a very smart person. And so if he thinks that, even after digging into libertarianism for a long time, if that's his overall view of what libertarianism is, then what do you think everyone else's overview of it is? What do you think their kind of base idea of what libertarianism is? We've got to do a better job at telling people why we think these things, why we care about these things. When I get on here and I talk about how the government should not bail out the student loans, should not cancel out all of the student debt, and should not pay for free college for all of our future generations, I need to say, why? And it's not just because we don't want to hurt people or take their stuff. Well, we don't want to steal from people. We don't want to take taxes, and taxation is theft, and that's why we can't do it. Morally, I mean, that's right. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then it goes like even past that. What's the emotional reason behind that? We all have some kind of emotional reason behind it. I I told my wife once that, you know, libertarians, everyone thinks really emotionally about things. When they see a problem, they think emotionally about it. And libertarians, we don't think emotions first about things. And she said, well, sure you do. Of course you do. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're just really, really emotional about the free market. Okay. So I I would take that, I'll take that idea and run with it. Why am I really emotional about the free market? 
why do I say tax taxation is theft? Why do I say we should get rid of welfare programs eventually? Why do I say all that stuff? Is it just because I'm a selfish, terrible person who doesn't want to give my money to anyone? No, not really. It's because all of those programs actually hurt people. They make things worse. We've spent like $70 trillion fighting poverty so far. And the rate is almost exactly the same from the time that we started fighting it. Maybe it's $50 trillion, I don't know. It's a ridiculous trillion amount of money that we have taken out of the productive side of the economy and put into fighting poverty. And the poverty level hasn't changed. I think if that money would have actually been left in the market in the hands of people who were productive and innovative, you would have done a much better job at alleviating poverty. We've already made poverty a lot better, even people who are in poverty. I talked about this yesterday. Look at our standard of living versus 100 or 150 years ago. We might still have the same poverty rate if we would have left that in the productive side of the economy. But being impoverished might mean that you don't have a flying car and everyone else does. Let's make that poverty. That's what I want to make poverty. You know? So when we talk about all of these things with taxation is theft and get rid of the programs and the government is evil, say why. And don't just say why because it's immoral to take things from other people. That's true. But go go further than that. Reach people on their level, what they're thinking about. They all want to help someone. They all think that without the government, people would just be starving everywhere. There would be mass violence all over the place that the entire world would come to an end and that so many people would be so much worse off. So you have to get to that level. What are they worried about? Really, they're worried about helping people or they're worried about their kids, their kids' future, their family. We have to tell people how these ideas, the ones that we talk about, the ones that we support, are actually the best option to help people. Because right now, people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are doing a much better job of convincing people that their ideas are what's going to help people who are in need. And we need to put a stop to that. The reason that we don't like taxation, that we don't like welfare, that we don't want to cancel the student debt, is because we care about helping people. Because we actually want to help people. We want to help the most amount of people that we possibly can. And that you do not do that through government programs. The government is terrible at spending money. It's grossly inefficient and corrupt. Leaving the, hands, leaving the money in the hands of people in the private sector is a much better way to try and alleviate poverty. I said the other day this really cool quote I heard from Milton Freeman. They were going back and forth about what should be public or private or what's good or bad about a public market or a private market. And he said, really, all you're arguing about is uh, someone who's providing services, do you want them to be controlled by their customers or do you want them to be controlled by politicians? That's the argument. And our argument is that if all of the services, all of the goods, everything that we needed, 
were all in markets that could be controlled by the customers versus being controlled by politicians, our argument is that everyone would be much better off. Even people who don't have health insurance right now, who need health care, people who live on the street, people who struggle with addiction, people who aren't doing well in school, people who are in poverty, all of these things, everything that we talk about on a daily basis is to help those people. And it's on us for not making that point more clear. We've got to do a better job at making the point that libertarianism is the most compassionate ideology that there is. That it is the only ideology that actually has a chance at helping people. All right, guys, so go follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Look us up on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty. Go to BernieLies.com if you want to go line by line through Bernie's policy proposals, and we'll just kind of shoot all of them down and talk about why they're terrible and propose what the actual free market solutions, the real solutions to those things would be. So once again, go to BernieLies.com. You can go to our website, goodmorningliberty.us, and read all kinds of articles on politics and economics. You can go to our merch store and get a shirt that says, Taxation is theft or shall not be infringed, or capitalism is greater than socialism. All kinds of different stuff. We got mugs, we got stickers, we got shirts, all kinds of stuff so you can get your ideology out there in front of people. Go to our merch store. Just go to gmlconnect.com. That's gmlconnect.com. Dot com. Leave us a rating and review on this podcast. It helps even more than you know. Leave us a rating and review. If you guys do all those things, we'll be right back here tomorrow. Charlie will be here. Until then, you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.